Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down and talked with Nils Vinya. Nils accelerated from an individual contributor to vice president in 30 months. And every team that he ran became a high-performing team. So what did he do? He deduced this experience down to a process, a process that formed the foundation around his leadership coaching. Once Nils started using his playbook, the results were remarkable. And today, Nils and I are going to be talking about his playbook, the 30-day leadership playbook and the four pillars of leadership. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am so excited to have the one and only Nils Vinya. And Nils and I are going to be talking about a lot of different things as it relates to leader. We're going to be talking about how you approach leadership. We're going to be talking about techniques to make your leadership style hopefully more impactful, more influential. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things and what you call your pillars of success or your pillars of leadership. And I'm so excited to bring that to the audience. But before we even go forward, I have to ask, I love the origin stories. I want to know, how did you come to be? How did you come to be a leadership coach? You have all this experience with and customer service as well. I mean, you have such a great diverse background. I want to know, how did you come to be today? What, what, what did that, I guess, career progression look like? Hey, Jen. Well, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. Super excited to dig into all things leadership and love this as an opening question. Um, it's, it's a, I think it's a fascinating story just because there is no one perfect path. And I, I do stress that with everybody I've always worked with. There is no one defined perfect path for anyone. And I'm a perfect example of that. So the first 10 years or so of my professional career, I had no idea where I fit in the professional world. I literally bounced around and did every job from being a software engineer, which I was absolutely terrible at, to being a Xerox sales rep. I actually went door to door selling copiers, if you can believe that. It was just as painful as it sounds. There are some people in the world who are cut out for that. I, however, was not one, and I learned that lesson very, very quickly, and it was uh, quite an interesting experience. So I get to the point where I was like, I have no idea where I fit. I've tried everything, stints in marketing and sales engineering, solutions consulting, consulting, you name it, I tried it. And then I got fed up, and I did what all people do when they get fed up. I went back to school. <laughs> <laughs> And I got an MBA in management and organizational behavior. And that's when the light bulbs started to go off. And I realized that that point, which was shocking to me, that the whole field of management and the whole field of leadership had an entire science and industry research, everything behind it. Yet the people that I worked for in the organizations that I worked at up for that 10 years, never really knew anything about this. And I was compelled and driven to bring great leadership back to the companies I worked for after grad school. So I went, got back into the working world. I was working uh, part-time, I was working full-time, sorry, going to school part-time and then accelerated the second half of the program and took a little break. I got back into my first role as what's called a customer success manager. Now in the B2B SaaS world, this is the team and the individuals who are responsible for the customer post-sale. So when the sales team goes out and sells a deal, then the customer success team takes over and works with those customers to ensure they get onboarded, the software gets integrated, they ultimately get value, and they renew and expand their contracts. So this was finally where I felt like I fit in the world. All of a sudden, all those little skills, the sales piece from Xerox, the um, technical skills from trying to be a software engineer, the solutions consulting, sales engineering, all those skills were needed 
in this role to serve the needs of the client. And that for me was like, just awesome. It was just amazing. Yeah. So from that point, I went on a very fast track because my alignment with the work was tremendous. My passion for the field was amazing. And it was a very, very just nascent field. It barely even existed. This was 10 years ago. And I went from an individual contributor to a vice president in two and a half years. I was so driven and had the previous 10 years of <laughs> knowing what I didn't want to do that once I found the right fit, everything went up and to the right. Now, at the beginning of this time, I also became a certified leadership coach and began to coach people on the evenings, weekends, whenever I could. I started coaching people outside of work. I started coaching people inside of work. Whenever I brought up the topic, like, hey, I'm, I'm a coach, they'd be like, oh, tell me more about that. They were always really interested in it. And I would share and I'd ask them some questions and say, well, there might be some opportunity for me to help you. And then we'd go on and that was the way it went for many years. When I formed my consulting business in 2015, that was when I took all my expertise in the customer success space and said, I want to help more companies build great customer success organizations. And I also did a lot of leadership coaching, but it was never the forefront. It was always a add-on to the projects. And I didn't really ever know how to make it the primary thing until the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, my consulting business went to zero in about 48 hours because it was all built on very high touch, one-on-one, -on -one, close relationships. And <laughs> you might imagine it was a tough time. And I had to look at my skill set, look at the things that I could do, the value I could bring to the market, the market I was bringing it to. And I decided to pivot my business to focus more on the leadership development. And that's what drove me to write my book, 30-Day Leadership Playbook which we're going to get into more, and then ultimately build a program called the B2B Leaders Academy and run a top-ranked podcast called the B2B Leadership Podcast. So there is no one perfect path that I took to get to this point. It is the amalgamation of all kinds of different experimentation and really never being willing to settle for anything less than I thought was exceptional in those jobs, in my roles, in my company, looking at everything with fresh perspective and trying to adapt to the situation as best I could. That is a phenomenal story, especially around, you know, I know people hate this word, but the, the pivot or adapting, right? Making, yep. hey, you know what? I My business went from blank to not really. It was really anymore. good. <clears throat> right? It disappeared. And, <laughs> and there are many people that were faced with that crossroads. Yes. Do you keep pushing and figure out a new way? Do you, you know, decide to close up shop, go a different way, end it all, whatever that might be. But one of the things that I love that you even shared, because I think it's just an important conversation is just how leadership is initially modeled to us earlier in our careers yeah. and how that, you know, you and I talked about this in the pre-call about just the different observations of kind of the wow, why is leadership maybe lacking in these huge organizations where you would think they have the resources to be able to, you know, invest in this development, but yet it kind of still follows those, those, you know, that's a nice to have. It's a nice to have. We don't I'm, have to do We're that. busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that because there's, I know, I love that story of observing that and recognizing it. There's got to be a better way. And so if you are in an organization, you know, here's your opportunity to either advocate for leadership development or to recognize like, hey, there's other organizations that are going to place this at the forefront. You may have some leaders that maybe could benefit from training, but you know, don't personalize those things. I look, like right. to look at that as research. That's then research. What would you yep. do differently? Mm -hmm. How could you engage and influence? But I love that you said there's not one defined path because we always get to choose it. We always get to reinvent ourselves. You're the only one with the limits. That's right. That's right. And and that, <laughs> uh, that is, that was not apparent to me 
until the time that I went back to grad school. Because up until that point, I had never seriously invested in myself. I waited for my company to provide training for me. I waited for them to tell me what to do. I was in the backseat. And there was a, a Saturday morning in early in grad school when we'd have outside speakers come in and they'd spend a couple hours with us on Saturday morning. It's a really cool experience and great opportunities. And this one speaker came in on one Saturday morning, first semester, I'll never forget. I was sitting in the audience, a couple hundred people. And the speaker walks out on stage, stands square right in the middle, looks directly into the audience. I felt like he was like looking into my soul. And he asked one very powerful question. He said, are you the CEO of your career? <laughs> and I went, the what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Hold on. And in that moment, my entire professional career flashed before my eyes. I literally saw all these situations and things. And I began to get angry with myself sitting in that chair. And the resounding answer that came out of my mouth at that time was, no, I'm not. And I was so angry with myself having never been asked this question, having never asked this question myself, that it was the turning point where in that moment, in that chair, that Saturday morning, I made the commitment to never, ever not be the CEO of my career. And from that point on, any investment in myself was 100% my responsibility. I was never going to wait for a company. I was never going to wait for a boss. I was never going to wait for somebody to reimburse me. I was going to make the investment, no matter what it took, and get to what I wanted to do. Because I was the only one in charge, because I am the CEO of my career. And I flipped the script that day, and that was a huge pivotal moment for me. What a powerful story of just taking charge or having that awareness. You know, that all it took was one question to make you think, oh yeah. my goodness, and being engaged, being open to that question, right? Not looking at it as, oh, I don't need to reflect on that. I love yeah. that and how yeah. that completely altered different paths and choices and also recognizing you always get to choose it. That's right. That's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. Yeah. We're going to, oh, go ahead. That was well, just that one. I mean, just that sentiment of, um, one being open to the question, but just the the power that even just one question has, you know, and that's a core, you know, leadership fundamental piece too, is if you have better questions, you will get better engagement, better responses. And this example is perfect. One single question <laughs> was worth, is, is worth, you know, what I would uh, add up to the last 15 years of my career and the success that I've had and the things that I've gone on to do came from that one powerful question. If that leader had started off that presentation any differently, I might've been on a completely different trajectory than this point, but I'm very thankful for that. And I think as leaders, we always need to keep that in mind that you know the questions that we ask have the ability to positively or certainly negatively impact the people's lives that work for us. And that is why it is so important to ask the right kinds of questions, to put yourself in the right situation, to help other people transform and see, just like in my example here. I think that there are so many, you know, I hear, and I'm sure you have too, in your experience as a leadership coach, that a pain point for some leaders may be that they feel like people aren't driving the career or taking the lead in growing it. And I feel like that is the best question that they should all ask their team. Are you the CEO in your career? Yeah. Instead of just waiting for maybe that leader to figure it out, like, are you the one that's driving that? 100%. You know, Are you taking initiative? I think you just gave people a powerful tool because it's much more impactful than, are you happy here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy today. I might not be happy tomorrow. <laughs> that's, that's a, you know, it's, it's not going to get you very far. That's a, a generic question. But when you ask uh, something much more powerful, um, it opens the doors and, you know, then there's an honest conversation about 
what does it even mean to be the CEO of my career? Hang on. And most of the people, you know, I share this, regardless of if they're first-time managers, directors, VPs, even C-level people, this one resonates incredibly well with everybody because there are points in time where you may have taken control. And then there's points in time where you likely have let it go as well. So if you're in one of those points in time where you've let it go or you're not quite sure what to do, right, take a step back and ask yourself the question, well, as a CEO of my career, like, what's the strategic decision that's going to make the difference for me in what I want to do, irrespective of the environment, what's going on with my company, my teams, other things, what is it that I'm going to be able to do to get to contribute the most amount of value to everybody else? Yes, I love that. I think this is a powerful segue into being the, talking about being the CEO in your career, it also starts with thinking about the type of leader that you want to be. How do you want to show up? What type of impact or influence do you want to have? And you have four pillars, or I guess I just want to hear kind of your framework around how you approach leadership in your business with your clients. How do you start to approach leadership to help people develop that soft skill set, hard skill set, and just have that competence and confidence to lead? Thank you. Yeah, uh, leadership is big, big topic. Right. And so what I do is break it down into the four pillars, leading yourself, leading others, leading with communication and leading with metrics. Now, within each one of these, there are different um, areas of focus to drill in deeper in order to get some specific tools that can help you improve your skills in each one of these areas. You're never going to do all this at once. And I would advocate don't try to do it all at once. Right. These are um, things that take time. And the only thing we have is time, because as we were talking about before, leadership is a long term game. And if you're in it for the long term, then you owe it to yourself to invest in yourself. And the way people invest in themselves and work with me is by working systematically through each of these four pillars to build skills in each of these areas so that ultimately they can feel confident handling any situation. That's my job ultimately as a coach is to empower my clients with the tools to handle, to confidently handle any situation. Yes. So let's dive into that first pillar. I feel like this is, this goes right to that opening question. Are you the CEO in your career? How do you recommend, or how do you work with people to help them best lead yourself? So, so leading yourself, the first pillar, sorry, yeah. if I maybe threw that in with a bunch of words, but leading yourself is one of the first pillars of leadership. How do you approach that? So there's, there's three key areas in this that are break it down and more are being continuously added, but this is kind of the core essence of what I think it means to lead yourself. Number one is what I call bulletproofing your leadership psychology. And as we were talking about here, you have the ability to take control at every time, at any point in time. And I found the greatest um, benefit for my clients over the years has been when I combine strategy with psychology. Right. So we have psychology to handle the mindset piece and we got strategy and tactics to handle that. Actually, what are you going to do? One without the other, you're not going to make as much progress, but both of them together is amazing. So when we talk about bulletproofing your leadership psychology, this is all about truly appreciating and accepting the fact that you are the CEO of your career and looking at the decisions that you make and also the decisions that your team makes against that lens. This also involves um, what I call claiming your strengths. Uh, strengths finder is one of my favorite assessments to give us a language to describe what you're naturally talented to do. When you know what you're naturally talented to do, you immediately build confidence and that helps bolster your psychology. So all these pieces come together in that first main area of uh, bulletproof your leadership psychology. And the other two core areas are mastering your time and building repeatable systems. 
lots more to dig into there, but I don't want to go too deep just yet. But that leadership psychology one is where it all starts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I love that. Taking that claim, own your strengths. Too many people, I think I see it as leading without your resume. It's like (laughs) you just bring, it's essentially like you're talking and handing someone a blank resume. We don't even know what's on it, what you even did. And we're doing ourselves a disservice as it relates to how we lead to others because we don't get to see how we can contribute or provide value. I think that's so important. Crosstown is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. So your second pillar is all about the leading others, which I think that might be either the most favorite part of a leadership role or someone's least favorite part. (laughs) It's polarizing for sure. Yeah. (laughs) How do you start with that? Or like, what are your, I guess, what's your opinion as it relates to how to approach leading others? Yeah. So leading others is all about your, and when my, my framework, I'm talking about it in the context of your team, the people, your organization, the people that you are closest to in your work as a leader. And there's three core areas that are focused on here. Number one is building a connected team. And this is all about creating a team identity. Nobody shows up and gets out of bed every day and shows up to just be part of their boss's team, insert your boss's name here. Um, And despite the fact that that's how a lot of people view their role. Oh, I'm just part of Jen's team. I'm just part of Nilsa's team. I'm just part of Sam's team, whoever it is. And it's a huge opportunity that is missed when you don't have an identity that this group of people who are coming together shared and helped to create. So there's this bond that can be created there and you can get tremendous leverage from an engagement perspective, from a trust perspective, from a rapport perspective that is absolutely phenomenal by going through the process to create an identity for this team. And that was some of the secrets behind how I went from an IC to a VP in two and a half years and built high-performing teams along the way. I was building those identities as I went and these incredibly strong bonds everywhere, every team that I interacted with. The second made, yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's say I'm, I'm more curious and maybe it's because of a conversation I had earlier. Let's say that you are new to an organization, maybe new to a leadership role. Where would you recommend someone even begin to look at developing a team identity? Because that can feel, especially if you're new and you may not have uh, the expertise within the organization, maybe you don't have the confidence yet because mm-hmm. we might have an imposter syndrome. So how do you start with building that team identity? Well, the best thing is you don't have to have any of the answers. You just have to have a framework and some tools and some structure, which I 100% absolutely can provide. I'll give you the high level here. And then there's more details in my book, which got a free copy available, which I'll share a little bit later. Um, So first up is the components of a team identity. There are three things that are really important. Number one, a clearly defined purpose statement. 
the purpose of this team is X. Whatever team it is, whatever your purpose is, doesn't really matter, but you fill in the blank. Purpose of the team is X. I'm going to tell you how we get to these answers too in just a sec. The second thing is a set of core values. These are the things that represent how your team commits to going about and fulfilling the purpose. And the third element is a team brand. So this is the name. This is where we get to have some fun and really brings to life the the type of personalities that are on the team and the type of things that the team likes. And so those three things together, the purpose statement, the core values, and the brand represent to me a very strong team identity. And the way we go about this is the best thing is that you as the leader have all you have to do is facilitate getting to these answers. You do not have to come up with them yourself. So what we do is work with our teams and provided with the specific agendas and some meetings and some uh, constructive uh, brainstorming time. We pull out all this information because guess what? It's already there. They already know how they work with themselves, how they work with each other, the ways they approach working with other teams, with other companies, et cetera. We just have to pull this out and then get everybody to agree on what the stuff that we 100% stand behind really is. And that's some of the fun in the step-by-step process that I work with clients on in the B2B Leaders Academy is how to go about this. I got templates, tools, emails, the whole nine yards so that you can literally set up the meetings and then follow the schedule and come out with a team identity in a relatively short period of time. I love that they can have that. I mean, I think I still think when I think of values and I know they're so so important, they act like that compass that we need to shed light on our decision-making, but the moment of trauma around company values or team values for me will come from, it's not trauma. Okay. I'm being dramatic, but earlier on in my career there, I worked for an organization that you know, they're going through this values rebrand. They wanted to change them. I am talking on every single outside cubicle. There was a value. I think it mm-hmm. said values. And then they actually had actors that had different outfits representing each of the values. So there were six different actors. And then when it came down to launch it, they had people, they had brought in those actors that they photographed and they had them come in and take pictures with people. I think they had cookies. I mean, they made this values launch huge. I can't even imagine how much resources they spent. And then you go into a meeting and you're like, I'm sorry, what were were these our values? So how would you recommend people building that (laughs) accountability? Because I still have that pain of, or the uh, insert eye roll, tell me your values, but if you don't follow through it. So how do you recommend to be accountable? Because I think there are leaders that sometimes think, check, did it. A hundred percent. I, and I, and I appreciate you brought up that story because I've experienced the same thing myself. And the first time going through this, I even questioned myself, like, is this really a point? But the, the way that I was able to get buy-in from my team and to uphold and to drive the accountability was in the shared agreement. So in that situation with your organization, these values were created and then delivered to you through a series of actors and some other stuff that went on, right? It was well, so ridiculous. <laughs> in, in, even if you're running a small team, even if you're running a big team, doesn't matter. But when people have an opportunity to shape what those values are, and when they are specific to them and their circumstances, that automatically changes the engagement level, number one. Number two is after they're defined and everybody agrees to them, there is a what's called um, part of it is a social contract where we agree to hold each other accountable to these values. And it is the leader's responsibility to kind of push the edge on this to say that, hey, in every single meeting, how did we 
Uh, how, what's an example of how someone lived up to one of our values? How did you use one of our values, <coughs> excuse me, to make a decision? Um, how would you use a value in this particular situation? So it's the integration of these values into the day-to-day life that is, gets the most um, leverage. And that is where oftentimes companies fall down. When they do this at the big company level, they think that rolling it out is the end of the train. And the reality is that's like barely even the beginning, right? It's about infusing it into the culture. And that is the responsibility of leaders to constantly talk about it when they're giving feedback, give feedback in the context of values. When you're having team meetings, bring it up. Um, when I was talking about the brand piece, every all, all of these pieces, the purpose, the core values and the brand, the integration of them into your day-to-day life with your team is what's going to make it stick. If it if you don't do that, it will be gone in a matter of weeks. It will be poof. It's just like it never existed. However, if you integrate it into your team's daily operations and weekly operations, it has the chance to flourish and to take hold. And that's a really exciting time. So one of my very first teams that I uh, did this with when I became went from IC to manager on Friday, I was a peer. On Monday, I was a boss. And I, the first thing I want to do was get the pressure off of me and say, no, nope, we're coming together. We're going to form this team. We're all going to agree to what it means to be here. I just happened to be the leader. And that was this was the set of exercises I walked through. And our team name was Team Solid. That was the name. And then our weekly team meeting became the Team Solid meeting. So it was no longer Nils's team meeting. It was Team Solid meeting. Now we start building and having some fun with, well, what does Team Solid actually look like from a visual perspective? We came up with a little icon and things, but this was all organic stuff that came as a result of everybody having buy-in and having a really strong alignment with it because they had buy-in. And by the, you know, I could pick up the phone 10 years later now and call anybody from Team Solid and be right back like we were 10 years ago. I love that. And it's, I think it's so true that the trust that's built, I guess the loyalty that's built extends beyond the time that the team might be, you know, one whole unit. Oh yeah. You can still feel bonded to those people many years beyond. That's a great example of the power that they have when you can actually build and integrate that into a team. Yeah. That's it's hundred percent possible in any environment with any team, virtually any situation you know, it is possible because people want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And they want to be part of something that they feel they have a hand in. I mean, think of any point in your life, the things you've been most engaged in were probably things you contributed to in a larger way than some of the others. Right. And bringing that into the work environment, I think is a fantastic idea. And it brings people together and everybody has a shared agreement and then everybody gets to hold each other accountable. Yes. Love that. Get that social contract going. Right. Now, I know that I cut you off because I, I just had my own personal you know, thing that I had to ask about as it relates to value. But I know that you were going in other directions as it relates to other key things that we need to focus on to be more effective as it relates to leading others. So I'll let you take it away from there because yeah, cool. I know I interrupted you. No, no, it was perfect. That was a great, and it was a great point to call out because I get that look a lot. When I talk about values, but like, oh, here we go with the values thing again. I'm like, oh, this is a slightly different angle than you might have been experienced with before. And it's it's all good. So um, the second major area in leading others is all about driving team performance. And these are the core foundational things that you have to do is at a really exceptional level to be a great leader. Things like setting expectations, driving accountability, giving feedback, like conceptually simple concepts that a lot of people would probably say are, oh, that's just common sense. Of course, I know that already, Nils. And 
the thing about common sense is it's not so common. And when I drill in, when people tell me, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good at giving feedback. And I drill in and I ask questions about, well, how do you give feedback and how often are you give feedback and what is the response to the feedback? I find a lot of holes. And so there are specific tools that I use to help build that and build the repeatability and build the consistency. There was a great um, Harvard Business Review did a study not long ago that asked, uh, what do people like the most and want to do the least? And they people wanted the most was negative feedback or reinforce or um, corrective feedback. That was what they wanted the most. However, what they wanted, what people wanted to do the least was give feedback. <laughs> so the very thing that people want the most is the very thing that nobody wants to do. Like so it's negative. It wasn't just feedback in general. They want negative yeah, feedback because they wanted to learn. They wanted to grow. And that thing that people did not want to do was give negative feedback. And it's it's true. I mean, I, I mean, my own personal experience, it was feedback was kind of rare, right? And it was just silly. It just didn't, it wasn't necessary. And I think the reason for that largely is there have been lots of different, you know, grand scheme feedback formulas and things, the feedback sandwich and all that oh, stuff we that's hate happened. It. We talked about that. We right. hate it. Please don't it, use it. <laughs> you can see it coming a mile away, right? It's just not authentic. And there are yeah. ways to do it that is 100% can be aligned with you. You can feel comfortable. You can do it every single day. And your team will absolutely 100% guaranteed appreciate it because it is the thing that everybody wants. Everybody wants to grow in some way. And if you have a formula to follow, then it's a piece of cake. So that, you know, that feedback piece is a big one I focus on. And conceptually, again, so simple, but so, so powerful. And when you get it down to a science where you can just consistently rely on your tools, it's a piece of cake. Gosh, I feel like I was always looking for negative feedback, but that's because I'm a hardcore perfectionist. Mm. Tell me what I'm doing wrong, because then I'm going to try and do everything to try and, you know, show that I'm good enough, show that I'm valued. And so when I heard that, I was like, that's a trigger for me because I used to aspire for that. Like they could be like, you did a really good job. No, but tell me what I, I know. I probably <laughs> And they were probably looking at you going, are you doing a reverse feedback sandwich yes. on this? And Hold so on. I'm like, people want this? Like, I wanted it for a form of self-torture. I'm pretty sure. I don't know why, but that's so interesting. But yeah, I mean, obviously through the different lens, people want to be successful. Like they want, they want to grow right for the organization. And they can't. And they can't if they don't know. Like nine times out of 10, feedback that is given comes when it's received, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Or I didn't even realize that's the impact of what I did. Because we're wrapped up in ourselves all the time. So if you assume that somebody else knows how they acted and how it impacted somebody else, I guarantee almost 100% you're wrong. And so that's where this feedback piece becomes so, so important. And the pace of growth, just like you've naturally wanted to find, just goes exponentially faster when that feedback is provided. And again, hallmark of great leadership is giving that feedback to help other people grow. Oh my gosh, here is my PSA to anyone that is leading remote teams. Make sure you're giving that feedback to those people that you're not seeing all the time. Especially I mean, in the remote world. Yeah. yeah. People want to hear it. They want to know. I I just, I think, and I, I still think of my friend that for six or seven months of the pandemic, she didn't have one video conversation with her leader and Ooh. she was an individual contributor. And that is just... 
how do you build culture? How do you build connection? How do you make sure people are executing on deliverables? If you do an out of sight, out of mind, I I get it. I know it's timely. I know that sometimes it's difficult, right? You said it, people don't like giving it, but there's so much time saved when you just give it. Is there, and, and well, considering that the cost of an employee turning over is one of the yeah. greatest costs in any business, it's going to pay for itself very, very quickly. Right. I mean, six or seven months without a video connection, I got to imagine your friend's probably one foot out the door, if not two, uh, very quickly because emotional ties get cut when people don't think they anybody cares about them. Right. right? And that's the <laughs> fastest way to get somebody out the door is just ignore them. And that's oh. what a lot of leaders do. Oh my God. Yes. And it just makes me like sad. It shouldn't ever feel like an Adele song where someone is calling to say, hello, it's me. I've been waiting several months for you to connect with me, like, or whatever that might be. Like no one should wait for that. If you're a leader, you got to make contact. That is a great, great connection to like, I'm going to think of that every time I hear that song now. I don't even know why I just did that. And that might be the first time I've ever actually tried to remotely sing on the podcast. So I'm so sorry to the listeners. If you had to turn down your podcast, um, here, yeah, I love, I'm loving this conversation, Niels. Where do we go with the, the third pillar now? So leading others, and I know that you that you had a few more points in there, but I want to make sure That's we're fine. covering yeah. our other pillars because they you're going to get a free copy of his book. So what is your third pillar? So the third pillar is called leading with communication. And in this pillar, we're starting to branch out our communication beyond our immediate team. So this is all about how do you communicate your value and your team's value to people outside of your your immediate organization, so other leaders in the organization. And this all starts with the cornerstone, which is having a framework to be able to talk about your, your team, your values, your um, accomplishments, everything. And one of the interesting things of why this framework, a framework, is so important is because it helps you overcome what's called the crisis of context. Now, it is total human nature. Yeah. What is believe. the crisis of context? It sounds like it should follow with the dun, 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 dun. Maybe Watch we need out. some sound effects. Totally. <laughs> um, it is, it is totally natural to believe that other people have the same level of context about a topic as you do. Mm-hmm. Only problem is it couldn't be further from the truth. Now in a leadership position, you know, everything about your team, your organization, the goals you're working towards, the activities you're doing, everything. And when you talk with other leaders inside your organization, they don't have anywhere near the same level of context about your work as you do. So if you talk to them like you talk to your team, you're missing a massive opportunity to connect. And what you say will likely go straight over their head and they will refer to you as having a conversation, but having absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So many people can relate to that right now. I know it. (laughs) Some people refer to this as like, you know, more executive level communication and whatnot. And I say, yeah, that's fair, but I'm breaking it down as simple as possible. Other people do not have the same level of context as you when, and if you talk to other people, like you do your team and you don't have a different level to talk with them, then it's just not going to work. So I mean, a perfect example of a framework. It's my four pillars of leadership. I created this as a way to connect with anybody and tell my story of how I view leadership when I was writing my book. That was where this framework came about. All the research I did, all looking back at everything I knew about leadership, everything I had coached people on for 10 years, and I boiled it down into these four pillars. So when I'm meeting with someone like yourself and having a conversation on this podcast, if you rewind, you'll notice 
that in the very beginning, I just said the high level version of the framework. I said, there are four pillars, leading yourself, leading others, leading with communication and leading with uh, metrics. And then we were, went in and dove into each one of those in more specific detail. But if I just started with feedback, or if I just started with expectations, if I just started with psychology, you would have gotten lost because it would have been like, well, these are interesting topics, but how does this all fit together? Do I have to do a million one-off little things? I'm saying, no, we just focus on these four major pillars and then we systematically work through each one of them. So that's an example of how powerful a framework can be. That's a fantastic, yeah, I love that example. And I think it's often an underutilized tool as we're probably, I'm sure many people going from project to project task or email to email, whatever that might look like. Yep. And then just not, you know, passively sending things, but not making sure that it's clear. I mean, in it, <sighs> I know that we may not like it, but people's attention span is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. <laughs> and so when I, you know, if someone wrote me a full, long, multi-paragraph email today, it actually would be harder for me to process, to understand and distill what the primary, what do you want me to do with this? Yeah. And yet I still get them. Hey, did you follow up on my email? Well, first of all, you didn't even ask me what you wanted me to do. You just sent me a novel and I don't know what you want me to do with the novel. <laughs> right, right. And that is, that is, that happens all day, every day, email inboxes clogged with that exact stuff because we make an assumption that other people know what we know. And we go into great lengths of detail without stopping and saying, okay, what level of context does this person actually have about the situation that I need to bring to their attention? And they either have zero context, they have some, or they have all the context. Like kind of think of it in three levels like that. And if they have zero context, you can't go much further than just the very high level pieces because they're not going to understand anything anyways. So you love might as well start framework. there. If they, yeah, love that framework. Who is your audience? Do yeah. they have, what did you say? Zero context? It's zero context. Anybody outside your <laughs> immediate not, team, yeah. assume they have zero context. If they're an executive at your company, if they're anybody else in a different department, assume zero. Yes. That's the starting point. Oh my gosh. I think that's such a great thing to say is assume zero. Think about how many... I got how many miscommunication, I guess, issues you could hopefully eradicate by just going there and also not going so technical to the point that someone just, you know, falls asleep on their keyboard or starts to peruse that they actually hear your message and that it's a good return for both people. Love. That's right. I, that's fantastic. As soon as you lose somebody in like you talk at too low a level of detail or they, they get the sense that they don't understand what you're talking about, you've lost them and you it's really, really difficult to get them back if you, if you possibly even can. So <laughs> know that that was that beginning piece, whether it's email or verbal or phone or zoom, it doesn't matter. That first connection piece of meeting them where they are is incredibly important and oftentimes gets over list and overlooked. And the framework is the ultimate antidote for how to do that effectively. Cause you need to be able to communicate with people who have zero context, people who have some context and people who have all the same context as you. And those are kind of the three levels of framework that I like to think about. Yes. I, I mean, I think that that's already going to help me in thinking about things. That's a really great framework. Thank you for the tool. My all pleasure. Right. <laughs> so leading with communication, I know you have a few other tips. What would be one other tip that you would provide? So to leading with communication. Yeah, just the high level. The other key foundational pieces here are um, creating unstoppable presentations. So once you have a framework and you can talk about all the great work and the value that you and your team are delivering, it's really helpful to be able to package that up in a meaningful presentation that can engage your audience, that can um, take them through a story, that can 
inspire them, whatever the situation is. And because you have to do an effective job of telling your story. And if you can't tell your story, nobody's going to listen. And you're not going to get approved for initiatives. You're not going to have a lot of trouble getting OKRs bought off on, et cetera. So those, there are some tools and some skills like there's a whole a lot more we don't have time to get into today. But the third key area in leading with communication is all about what I call marketing or leadership. And here's the underpinning of this. Doing the work as a leader is not enough. You have to tell a story about your leadership. You have to tell a story about your work. Nobody knows what you do. Assume that nobody knows what you do, even if they say they know you, they don't. Assume they know nobody knows what you do. It is your job to effectively market your value your skills, your team, your success, your failures, successfully market that within the organization. And the audience is going to determine the level of context that you need to communicate at, which is why the framework and the presentations are so important. So it's kind of like the you know, encapsulating thing on the leading with communication is ultimately being able to effectively market your leadership. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back to even the driving your career piece. Are you the CEO in your career? Do you Are you aware of how you provide value? And goodness, if I could just build confidence in every single individual that I ran into contact with, because leaders don't always see their values. They get, I guess, for lack of a better description that I can think of off the top of my head is they get bogged down. They feel like they're sinking in maybe failure or these small mistakes instead of looking at how they did contribute, looking at what they did achieve. And I just think that's so important. And I think it also competes with maybe how some of us have been raised. I know I was raised with the notion that you don't want to be too confident because then you're going to come off as cocky or arrogant, which is extremely off-putting. But you're saying, get comfortable with promoting yourself. Market your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not about being cocky. Like there's a difference between confident and cocky. And this is one that comes up all the time. People are like, well, how how do I market my leadership and how do I promote myself without tooting my own horn and without sounding like I'm cocky? And I say, well, it comes back to one, the leadership psychology that you have. Number two, finding an appropriate way using a framework to tell the story of your work, right? So you're not talking about you. You're talking about the work that you've done and the leadership that you've provided and the value you've added to the company through a vehicle of which anybody can understand. This is not just, oh, Jen did this and Nils did this and Nils did this and Nils did it. No, no, no. It's about, well, here was the big picture problem and situation that we had. We approach this through the four pillars of leadership, pillar one, two, three, four. Here's what we did in each one of these pillars. This is how we contributed value to the company. Now, all of a sudden, people can understand your message, and they it wasn't about you at all. It was actually the framework was the great vehicle to be able to communicate to them because they didn't know what you did. Yes. Can I, I want to get your take on this. Like One of the things that I say with clients is that you have one end of the spectrum is cockiness. The other end of the spectrum is low confidence. If you have been operating with the fact that cockiness is your enemy, the likelihood of you jumping onto the cockiness train overnight or becoming arrogant, from what I see, is is pretty small. And so just putting that out there, because you would really have to work to then get that there. So give your, I love the tools that you're sharing with them because give yourself permission to try because you're not all of a sudden going to swing overnight to telling everyone that you lead them from an ivory tower and look down at them. (laughs) That's right. And even if you're, you know, don't have the framework in place yet, that's okay. Like simple matter of fact is it's make it not about you. If you, let's say you ran a project, 
Let's say a project was wildly successful. Let's say you led that project and it led to some wonderful result for the company that added some amount of measurable value, right? Very generic example here. But instead of saying, I led this project, I got this to this value, I did this, you just simply take yourself out of it and talk about, all right, here was the situation that we had. This was a challenge that was recognized. The team came together. We identified some possible solutions. We came up with the best possible scenario based on our understanding at the time. We put together a you know, implementation plan. We put this into action and we achieved this result. That's an effective way to market your leadership and you never use the word I. That's okay, right? So even if you don't have a full framework built out, framework's obviously gonna make it infinitely easier and, and more effective. But even if you don't have it out, take yourself out of the equation. Don't talk about I, talk about the, the situation, you know, what, how the team came together or how the solution was arrived at, and then what the end up and uh, result was and what the impact was. Yes. That is a fantastic way to just approach it. All you have to do is get into it and just start going, or even start with the, we, what did we as the team go? And yeah. then you can bring that back. Let's get into your final pillar. I cannot, this, I feel like this has flown by. So your final pillar dun, 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 is with metrics. So this is the measurement piece. And as you see, like they, while we can, and with my clients, we do go in different order and sometimes focus on different areas at a time, depending on the situation. However, the original construct was that, well, you got to focus on leading yourself. Then you can effectively lead others. Then you can effectively lead with communication. Then you can effectively lead with metrics. So the measurement piece is critically important, but not at the expense of everything else. And these, the couple key areas and things in here are around driving personal and team performance. And the one takeaway I would share here is that um, a very powerful lesson I learned many years ago from a close friend of mine was that any activity can get to a yes or no. And that was a game changer for me. So I'm not naturally metrics driven, but I have learned to adapt and build, bring metrics in so that I could drive my team's performance when I was in an operational role. And when I'm working with my clients and sharing these tools and tips and helping them to drive performance, because here's what happens most times. Okay. Leader says, Hey, our sales number is down. You need to go fix it. Our retention number is too high uh, or sorry, too low. You need to increase it. We need to go from 80% to 90%. Go do it. And then you say, well, I trust my team. They're smart. They should figure it out. And that's the absolute worst thing to do because nobody has any idea what it means that the sales number is down. Like, was that the result of marketing efforts? Was that result of sales development efforts? Was that result of close rates, pricing, packaging, 8 a billion global other- pandemic. Global <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Right? But that's where a lot of metrics get left is they get left at the lagging indicator, high level things that just do not like inspire action. They cannot be tied directly to action. You cannot in a day influence that lagging indicator metric. So this pillar is all about learning how to break down those big lagging indicators into leading indicators, which translate then into activities that you and your team can work with. And you can hold them accountable to actually doing things. And the best part is they will know exactly how the work they do on a daily basis influences the leading indicators, which ultimately influences lagging indicators. And so that closes the gap on the measurement piece, which is pervasive across all the business world. And that's so important. I think that that's often 
an underlooked area of development within organizations, not even describing at a simple level how your organization makes money, determines what success looks like. I know we teach a class all around building your business here at Crosscom, but it's when I worked at an organization, I remember feeling completely detached. And the example that I share as it relates to that is there, I think it was my manager or leader at the time. I didn't necessarily, they gave, they, you know, came and delegated the task. Here is said task that we want to do. And in my brain with limited information, limited context, I was like, this seems redundant. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and then fast forward into, I went and I observed, I worked for a publicly traded company. I sat and listened to our quarterly earnings call. My mind was so excited to have an understanding of how that strategy then connected back to me. But yet that took me yeah. going in and actually mm-hmm. seeking out the information. And I think it's low hanging fruit for leaders yeah. to just have these conversations, I help agree. people understand that's how they're making informed decisions. I just yeah. love that you're bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. And it all comes back to the metrics, right? If you yeah. know what the metrics are at the high, you know, I, I use these levels, level one, two, three in multiple areas, as we were talking about with the framework. And it's just a great way to just break it down, right? And and when you're communicating metrics about your team, guess what metrics other people who have no context need to know? Level one metrics, the highest level, the lagging indicators, they don't care about the stuff that happens day to day. They'll never be able to understand it. They don't understand why. They, they don't need to. But if you're communicating with your team, you can't communicate at level one metrics. You can't communicate that our sales numbers are down, go fix it. Because then there's this huge gap of, well, how does what I do actually impact that outside of the once a quarter measurement that I hear about with that number? It just doesn't make any sense. So closing the gap is really, really important. It's kind of at the heart of this entire pillar. Yeah. And it's a way to drive engagement. I don't want to feel disconnected, but if, you know, if I'm just missing information to understand the value and I have all these competing priorities, right? You don't want to assume that the employee is trying to go against it. They might just not see how that connects. Thank you so much for bringing that up to, as a point of leading with metrics of why it's so important to build that into your leadership style. Niels, I've loved our conversation. I am here. Truly loved it. I feel like the energy has been fun. I don't know why I'm saying for my first time, but I want people to be able to connect with you. I know you've offered to give and provide your book that yep. they can download, but tell tell me or tell them, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can get a free copy of the best-selling book, 30-Day Leadership Playbook, Your Guide to Becoming the Leader You Have Always Wanted to Be by going to 330dayleadership.com forward slash book. And that is uh, just... Submit your name and email, and poof, I'll send you the book immediately within a few minutes. Um, other For the information on the B2B Leadership Podcast or the B2B Leaders Academy, where I go deeper with all of these tools and provide access to not only the tools and the content, but also coaching with me, uh, just go to 330dayleadership.com, and you can see the whole menu of services there. Would love to connect with you. You can always send me an email at nils, N-I-L-S, at 30dayleadership.com. If you have a specific question, look forward to connecting in the future. Nils, thank you so much for just sharing your knowledge, expertise, and passion for leadership. This was a great episode, and I, I know that our listeners will walk away with some tangible takeaways. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast with Nils Vinya. I loved the conversation. It was so dynamic and I learned so many different characteristics, tips, and techniques that I can try. As you heard in the episode, Nils is offering you a free digital copy of the 30-Day Leadership Playbook. And you can access that by going to 30dayleadership.com 
backslash book, or you can find that link in our show notes. Also, you can connect with them there. You can find additional resources. And if you know someone that could benefit from hearing this conversation, don't forget to share this with them. And of course, if you're looking for leadership development, we would love to assist you here at Crestcom. We offer a one year long comprehensive leadership development program that is focused on creating more authentic and human centered leaders. Thank you so much for listening until next time.